Hello, and welcome to the Better Cinematographer podcast, episode number four. On this episode of the show, we have an interview with colorist Thomas Mangum. I'm going to keep this intro as short as I possibly can. Enjoy the interview, and I will catch you on the other side. Tom, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. I appreciate it. Cheers for having me. Colorist is a highly requested guest on the show, so there's no pressure today. <laughs> nice. Um, for the for the people that don't already know who you are, uh, just explain what you do and your kind of path to doing that. Cool. Yeah, my name's uh, Tom Mangum, and I'm a, a colorist, and I work at uh, the Mill post post production company in London. And yeah, I mean, my path was an interesting one. I, to be honest with you, growing up at school, I always liked art, always liked photography, that kind of stuff, but didn't know anything about colour, didn't know what a colourist was. And it wasn't until I did some work experience at a post-production company after I left school that um, I actually discovered it. And I remember they did demonstrations in a few other post-production things like Flame, 2D, 3D, that kind of thing. And then I went into the grading suite and as soon as I saw it, that was it. That was that light bulb moment for me. You know, I saw the guy just tweaking the colors and like manipulating the image and, and that was it. And then ever since it's just been about training, working towards that goal of being a colorist. And I was actually going to go to uni at the time and they kind of advised that, you know, it makes no real difference if you have a degree or not. The best kind of thing was to actually get in there, learn and assist, you know, a, a senior colorist. So I just got a running position and trained straight away from there really worked my way up through the company um got myself into uh, a data lab position which at the, at the mill is that kind of the entry level position at, at, in color um and you're basically prepping material you know doing the conforms that kind of stuff then from there became a, a color assistant where you know you're, you're assisting the colorist doing you know match grading things like that started picking up my own grades um, like little freebie jobs low budget music promos short films that kind of thing and then built from there really and then eventually uh eventually got the opportunity to to be a colorist at, at, at the company so yeah that, that's the that was the journey that's the journey <laughs> in time wise how long was that journey so was it school that you've uh, well, no, cause I, I took some time out traveling and things like that. But from the moment I kind of got my head down and and decided I was gonna I was gonna go for being a colorist, it's probably been about five years from like the bottom up. You know, obviously spent time working in the machine room, which is kind of different nowadays. But back then, um, everything was tape based. Uh, everything's digital now. Even just five years ago, people were still working with tapes back then. Well, it's interesting because I kind of caught the the ending of that sort of era if you like um i remember when i joined the machine room there was a you know, give or take maybe about 20 tape decks loads and by the end of it when i left there was two so i kind of was there during that period of where everything became digital and it was super quick you know it happened felt like you know over the course of you know a year maybe it, it completely changed but um I, I guess it was slightly unique in that i worked at you know I, i've obviously come through at a company called the mill and they were moving buildings at the time and they kind of you know everything was going digital anyway and they used the changing of the building as like a good moment to to change all of their machine room and everything so as soon as we moved they kind of used that as their turning point to get rid of a lot of the old tape decks and make everything digital and their whole workflow changed everything became digital from them really and, and now there's none of that. It's literally everything's purely digital now. I mean, I don't know because I don't work down in those departments, but I mean, I, c 
can't imagine unless if you was unarchiving an old job mm. you know um then maybe maybe you might get a tape out but i can't i don't think i've seen one in years to be honest yeah uh, <laughs> so, well it doesn't sound like a bad thing no no uh, definitely when you so you started as a runner Mm-hmm. And did, and your intention was you're going to work your way up. How did you know that was how you become a colorist? Um, it was just kind of the the natural path, really. I mean, there are some colorists who've maybe been a bit more self taught um, or gone a slightly different path. But the traditional inverted commas way is you know you start at the bottom, you know you work at a post house and and, and you train from the more senior guys there. For me, that appealed because I've always been someone who wants to play the long game a little bit. I wanted to learn from the best, um, and I was lucky. You know, I've got to assist some some great, you know, colorists with you know years and years worth of knowledge and expertise. So, and as well, you know, in hindsight, now I find myself in in situations in the suite, and you're really grateful for that experience and that time that you've had, like learning and being able to do things not under pressure and. It's not even just about learning how to grade. It's not even just the creative stuff. It's not even 50, probably not even 40% of the job. It's the experience of, you know, how, how to handle the room, how to, you know, talk to your clients, how to handle, you know, the, the tricky situations when there's pressures from time or from the, the job being difficult. It's all manner of things get thrown at you in the, in the grade suite. And uh, you're, you're grateful for that that time you had learning and, and that kind of slow transition, you almost like dip your toes in bit by bit and you get more and more used to it. And when the time comes that you're actually a colorist and you're in the seat, you, you feel a lot more prepared. You mentioned about you had a friend who started as a runner. It's worth noting if, you know, if you have ambitions to be a colorist, um, it would be wrong to think that you just walk in there and, you know, it's like, it hasn't been like smooth sailing, like some easy ride, like bit by bit. And then all of a sudden you become a colorist. You know, it's tough. There's a lot of long hours involved you know, a lot of hard work um, and it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's notoriously long, a long, hard road to get there. Um, but if you're passionate about it and you love it and you love color grading, you know, you, you love photography, those kind of things, then, you know, it's worth pursuing because the rewards are there. But if it's not exactly 100% what you want to do, you know, you should maybe think about whether it's something you want to pursue because it's, it's not easy and it's not quick. There's a lot of long, hard, hard hours assisting, you know, ahead and, and you can only really get yourself through it if, if you love it. That's, that's the main thing really. You have to have a real passion. Especially if you're going to go into something like that, knowing how long it's going to take, mm-hmm. you have to already want to do it that badly. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes the, the most difficult thing is like you, you might get to a stage where you feel like you're ready but there's not an opportunity. You know, there's not that many colorists, you know, take London, for example, there's not that many post houses and within the post houses, you know, they're probably only three to five colorists. So there's not that many opportunities there and you may feel like you're ready, but you still need to wait for a chance to happen. And then when that chance comes up, you've got to be good enough to take it anyway. So there's some times where it can be frustrating. Like you feel like you're sort of, you, you you can't really progress on any further and you're just waiting, waiting for an opportunity. So it is kind of like dead man's shoes it a is, little yeah, bit. Exactly. <laughs> I mean if that's the case, what causes a job to open up? What what does does someone leave for another company yeah, or they might, retire or like how it how? depends. I mean the company might expand, in which case you get an opportunity. But you know, mine it was someone retired. 
okay. um, yeah, Colourish retired and, you know, I, I, I got you stepped the opportunity. Up. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like sometimes there'll be no movement for ages and then one, because there's not many colourists, one colourist will move and it has a knock-on effect in the city, you know, and it's like a bit of a merry-go-round. Yeah, that's mad. <laughs> it's like actually like a really small... Small, is it a small industry? Yeah, it's, it's very niche in an already niche industry. Yeah. Um, you know, so I guess you can say that, yeah. When it comes to pre-production, what kind of role do you play with regards to cinematographer? Well, I mean, there's not too much of a, of a role. I mainly grade in advertising and, and music videos. So with those, you know, quite often the job is such a short time frame. You don't really have time to even jump on a phone call with a cinematographer, let alone, you know, sit down and go on set, plan, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think with longer form work, it's a little bit more different. You have a bit of pre-planning and a bit of a chat. But it's something that us as a colour team at the mill, we're trying to, to change. You know, we want to try and get involved a little bit earlier where possible. If anything, you know, there's no harm in just having a chat so you can talk about creative ideas, you know, and from a cinematography point of view, it's, it's always good to have a chat with a colourist, you know, prior. And you might be trying to go for a certain lighting or achieve a certain look, getting their opinion on how you can achieve the same goal. It's only going to help, right? You want to make sure you're, you're working together rather than, you know, you, you might light something in a certain way that's going to actually make it more difficult for the colorist at the other end and, mm. and vice versa. So, you know, obviously having a chat, chat helps. Um, you know, other things where we try and get involved, if we have the time and if you have that relationship with the DP, I make LUTs and stuff beforehand so they can use the LUTs and get a bit of a feel for where the grade's going to head later. Loads of advantages for that. You know, one, obviously the DP can see you know, a bit of a feel for the look, but also, you know, when you, when you're doing um, offline edit files, you can apply that LUT, it puts it in a nice world. So it looks better, you know, better for the client to view it and approve it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, we've certainly had, well, personally, I've had a few jobs where, you know, it's shot and, and a certain LUT goes on or what, you know, sometimes no LUT goes on and the client sees it and they see the log and then they, you know, fall in love with this really flat image and then you put a bit of contrast into it and then they get really scared or they might dp might just chuck a lot on it um and then they just love that mm, and then when attached. you actually grade it you realize that the lut's not really the way it should be graded you know the lut might be making it really warm for example but creatively it suits being colder but the client's already dead set on that look and trying to dissuade them from that it's really difficult so um you know, it's quite good to manage client expectations, you know, doing that. It's not something that happens all the time, but it's certainly something we're trying to push more um, and, and get to do it more often because it, you know, it doesn't take long. Quick phone call with a bit of test footage. Um, you can talk about it and you can make a LUT in, you know, 30 minutes or so. Well, it takes a second to export the LUT, but like mm. to sit down and create the look, you know, get it out. It's, it's really super easy and it, it can be advantageous for everyone. That initial, what, maybe an hour half an hour depending on how quick things move that could save several hours 100 you know percent. i mean because if I it's could. just you and the dp talking about it there and then you're going to be there's less like less chefs right so yeah if you do that when it's the actual grade and there's a bunch of people behind you you're not just like talking about it with the, the dp you've mm. got the agent and the client and everybody else behind you right yeah definitely definitely and and as well like you know you gotta remember DPs, you'll know as good as anyone. You're often busy off on shoots, can't attend grade sessions. Um, so if you have that opportunity to have a chat with the colorist beforehand, you just get your views across 
get each other on the same page of where you want the look to go creatively. And if you are busy, you can't, you know, go to the session or whatever. At least you, you know, you've got some confidence in what the colorist is going to do and where they're going to take it. You had that, had that chat. So it's important to have that, that talk early on. How often are you just given a job to do with maybe some notes and there's no one there? It's more common than you'd think. Just nowadays, you know, people are busy, people can't attend and quite often the director might be off on another shoot and therefore, you know, you get given a, a few reference files or some looks that they like and then you, you kind of grade it, send them some stills and they approve it that way. But ideally you want everyone in the room. I, I think the grading suite is the the timing of it and the, the usefulness of the room is sometimes overlooked because it's it's one of the very few times that you get all the creative people in one room together. Um, you know, you'll you'll have ideally the the director, the DOP, quite often you have the editor because they come in to check it. You know, if it's an advert, you'll have your creatives, uh, people like that, or you might have your, your client um, all in one room and you're able to kind of talk, you know, get creative views across. Um, and, and it can be this kind of real sort of melting pot of ideas. Sometimes people overlook that a little bit, but, you know, it can be a real crucial time, particularly in the post-production stage, you know, you can really win and lose business in the grade suite it happens tends to be the first suite that everyone goes into um and as you know like first impressions are everything so if if you know you, you you're a director or a cinematographer and you go into a grade suite um and it it, it starts badly you straight away you but you've got bad impressions and, and jobs can just just spiral out of control whereas if you go in and there's a good colorist he puts you at ease you know the the images he's putting on the screen look good the coffee tastes good the yeah. music sounds good <laughs> everything starts going better doesn't it you yeah. know so it's really important and uh, people massively overlook that what's the kind of day-to-day setup yeah you know, like how do you work so the day-to-day setup it as i explained before where i work in on a lot of adverts and music videos and more i should say more shorter form grade work it can be a little bit more chaotic with a schedule. You know, if it was longer form, it'd be a little bit more pre-planned and you'd be on that job for a, you know, more of a sustained period. Whereas like sometimes I could be doing two or three jobs in one day, different projects, just because of the nature of that short form work. Um, and, you know, sometimes you won't know that you're even on a job till the day before. It's rare, but it does happen. And then obviously you do get some where there's loads of pre-planning, you get told a month before, you're involved in early conversations before they even shot it. So there's, there's a r- bit of a real mix, but you do have to, when you work in more short form grading, you have to be flexible and be on your toes a little bit that, you know, every now and then you might just within 24 hours notice, go onto a job and have to step in and, and grade it, um, which is good in some ways, you know, um, I think it it's exciting for me knowing that you, you're always getting different things thrown at you, different creative work, different challenges, that kind of thing, um, which is, which is good. And, you know, if, if it was a you know a long-winded process, you you may get a little bogged down with it. Whereas with short-form stuff, I, I find it I find it kind of more exciting. Yeah, because you just like one job, move on to something new. Exactly. One job, yeah, exactly, I can yeah. I can imagine. And you know the the general kind of process for for us really, I guess from from the kind of producer's point of view, that they'd book the grade in, they'd get all the prep over to us, it'd get prepped, um, and then we'd book in a grade session, sit down, we grade it. Depends if there's VFX work afterwards. Um, if it was a simple grade only job, it, it is literally you go in, you grade it and you export it at the end. But quite often, you know, there'll be heavy post work um, and you'll go in, you'll kind of set your looks at the start 
then it will go off to the VFX guys. They'll start, you know, doing their doing their work, and then you normally reconvene at the end, reapply the grade, check it, see how it's all looking, maybe make some tweaks. You know, creatively, we might change decisions by that point. Um, and it tends to be like the last room, really, where you kind of finalize the look, really, and you know, fine tune it, and then it goes on to the online session and and, and out and on TV. What would be your your kind of ideal sort of work situation because you you mentioned initially that you like you kind of enjoy having a kind of suite full of the different people from different departments where mm. in theory at least in my head that sounds like a fucking nightmare yeah. but you kind of sounded like you enjoy it and i think that's really that's I think, interesting i think saying i enjoy it would be um be very strong <laughs> okay is that I another guess, statement yeah massively i mean you know you're going to get like really challenging jobs where you can imagine you get um you know four or five different people with different opinions and, and it can be quite tough um but i think that's part of the job of a good colorist is being able to sort of manage that control the room um bring people's opinions together you know sometimes you're almost like a bit of a marriage counselor um and there's a part of me that sometimes regrets it because it can be quite tough in the session. You know, if you if you have quite a challenging job um, and you've got different opinions, you know, it can it can be pretty heavy going. But also there's an argument that having everyone in the room, getting those ideas out, coming to a conclusion and then just finalizing a job there and then is actually quite nice as opposed to if you're working a bit more remotely and, you know, you do something, you spend like hours changing something, then that goes off of feedback they then come back and they want to change it. And then you do another load of hours work, send it off and you get more feedback and it can be quite a long process in, in some ways. It, it can be tough, but I'd rather just get everyone who has a, a, an input in one room. We all make a decision. We grade it, we get it done. And, and, and that's that really. And also, you know, they're, they're not all like tough sessions. Majority of them are all really good. And I really enjoy collaborating with people. I think that's like one of the massive or, or the big appeals to me for the job, you know, if at the end of the day, if someone has a good creative opinion, I, I want to sit down, I want to hear it from them, um, you know, and you know, quite often, you know, people can't attend for various reasons, but if they can and they, they have a creative input, be it, you know, cinematographer, you know, director, even, you know, a producer who, who has a, an opinion and it's, it's you know, I, I want them in the room and I want, I want to hear about it, you know, um, and I guess for, for from your point of view as a as a cinematographer or a DOP, like absolutely, I want them in the suite. You know, every once in a while you hear like uh, the DOP couldn't make it or wasn't invited or for whatever reason. And I just find that crazy. Like the guy who shot it should be sat next to me having an opinion. Like I want to know how he's lit it or why he's lit it that way because I I might be oblivious to it and I might be fighting against that. Um, you know, I think it's crucial to have them there by your side and getting their opinion. Or as I say, you know, if, you, if you're busy, at least have a little phone call, mm. have a chat about it and, and get a bit of an idea, you know. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even notes, right? Just like, because yeah, I remember ages. I with something yeah. we did ages ago, I had a feeling that I wasn't going to be able to make it on time, at least to the grade. And I remember I sent a still mm. with like some fucking weird scribbles all over it. Yeah. Of like just notes. Yeah luckily you understood them because they look like the scribblings of a four-year-old but i mean is that quite common as well yeah, for people yeah, to definitely. just send you stills and be it's like, always this worth is where it. we want to start i mean all kind of references are, are welcome but if i could offer advice i'd just be try and be really clear and concise with your references you know quite often i'll get references that are just completely polar opposites and it gives me no help whatsoever when you say polar opposites so do you mean like for example you'd have five 
references of a look that they want to go for and they all look totally different yeah or- say for example um, just someone's misunderstood and they want something that's you know really dark moody cold blue crunchy and they send a reference of something that's like light airy you know uh, try and find you know good references that really and, and also as well you know be realistic if if you've shot something on an overcast day and you got unlucky with the weather don't send references from la in the sun you know try and be realistic with your references and find things that actually are achievable and and keep them clear and concise so you know because if you can't be in the suite it just needs to be clear for the colorist the direction he wants to go um you know i think we we have experience enough to kind of work things out anyway but it's just always helpful to just be a bit clearer with it you know I think a good colorist would would look at the image, get the references, and be able to decipher what they mean anyway. But you know, it, it's always it's always nice to be just a little bit a little bit clearer and easier with it. It's interesting because in the previous episodes with a gaffer and a director, we spoke about references, and they're always saying like, yeah, vi- like always, always send as early on like send references. Mm-hmm. And you're almost taking that one step further and being like, send references, but be really fucking clear about what it is you like about those specific steals, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes common sense to, if you're sending references or giving, you know, an idea to someone, the clearer and more concise you are, the more likely is the guy's going to nail the grade of how you want it. And then I suppose on the flip side of that, what's the situation where you're in the suite and you're just like, get me the fuck out of here? <laughs> this is just like not how I want to be working. Like, what's your what? I don't how really don't you like get to into that situation? And if I ever fall into the trap of slightly having those negative thoughts, I like to think I just snap myself out of it and just say, "Look, so I'm like, you're in a very fortunate position. Like, just grading for a living is yeah. is really great. Like, I love it, um, and I don't think I'd want to do anything else. So, you know, even if I was on a a tough job." Um, you know, it's still, I still would, wouldn't, I could be a lot worse off. I, I was lucky actually. I think I didn't mention it when I was talking about where I started, but I did a, an office job when I first left school and I was literally there for a day. I went in and it was horrendous and I left and uh, I've moved since. But at the time I used to, uh, when I was assisting, I used to get the train past that office every day. And sometimes I get the train home after doing a crazy long day. I'm knackered, you know contemplating whether I even want to do it anymore and then I'd see that office and it'd just be a little reminder to be like actually do you know what life's not too bad mate like you know at least it's tough but you've got a passion for it and uh you know it's it's creative work and and it's something that I, I really care about and that's the difference I think if it's tough and it's hard and you have a hard grade session if it was something I weren't interested in then you know I think it would be really disheartening and get you down but I think it's only tough because I care about it and I'm passionate about it. I mean, I guess when I was saying that, I didn't mean like you're there not like wishing you weren't a colorist. I mean, like, like what's the most kind of frustrating situation where you're kind of like, you've, you're trying to get somewhere with a look, for example, but say whoever's sat there with you is just like, it's like you, you, you just, you're having different views mm-hmm. or you're trying to do what you think they want mm-hmm. and then they flip it and they're like no actually does, i mean are you ever in that situation where yeah, you're just you, like because you, you have so much flexibility you could do literally like, you guys can do what you want in terms of color right yeah so do you ever does that ever go too far where the, the dp or the director I, I imagine it's probably not the dp it's more the director or a producer is kind of like oh well can we change it and do something like completely different mm-hmm. which was never originally planned you know yeah i mean you get 
frustrating situations like that all the time. And you touched on it, like you tend to not get that from the DP and the director because they tend to have a similar kind of creative head to the colorist. Um, but, you know, sometimes you'll, you know, it's no fault of their own. Like you might get a, a particular client from the brand that you're working on who's never been in a grade suite before. And they come in and it's just pure naivety. They don't understand what's achievable or, you know, what's necessarily right, what's good, what's cinematic, what's not, you know, this kind of thing. And they might want to push something brighter. For, as an example, you know, they might want something to be super bright and you're trying to advise them by saying, look, you know, I think you're going too bright. You're, you're for example, clipping highlights, you're blowing things out. You know, this isn't technically right. This isn't going to make it look better. Um, and just because they've never been in grade sessions before, they they don't understand it. But I then would go back to saying that a good colorist should manage the room properly, should help and, you know, should kind of educate and, and bring everyone round to the right way of thinking anyway. It's not always easy and it's not always achievable, but you should always be striving for that. And you can do it in many different ways, but I think the way you talk is the key. You can explain how to make something brighter in five, six different ways. You can say, oh, look, more luminance, brighter or, you know, push the highlights or you know there's there's so many different terminology you can use and certain people use different languages or understand different words you know you could you could say to a dp oh, i think i'm just gonna you know lift that stop or you know they'll know what that means but if you're chatting to perhaps like a client for you know a, a product who's never been in a grade session before you probably wouldn't say that you'd say oh you know i'm just gonna make that a bit brighter or i'm gonna make that a bit darker you simplify your language so that they can kind of get what you what you mean you know um and these are all kind of little things to sort of help bring around, you know, potentially a, a tricky situation where people aren't understanding what you're doing or it's getting frustrating because they're not really listening to you or your ideas. Um, but to go back to the start of the question, you know, there, there are definitely moments where, you know, I have found it, you know, frustrating. And I think the, the one for me is when, when, you know, you're trying to offer good technical advice and they're just not listening and what they want is not, not kind of, technically correct i think creatively you can go any way you want in my opinion but there are certain technicalities which i think you just have to stick with um and you know as an example like, i, I you know, crushing blacks or you know blowing out highlights you know think things like this like for me i just think you, you just shouldn't do um and like they're just small examples so yeah that that can be frustrating if they're, they're not quite listening to what you're trying to say um, i can get on board if someone wants a particular creative choice might want it super warm or super cold or you know that kind of thing you know at the end of the day the beauty is in the eye of the beholder and then i can kind of accept that but yeah the, the technical things for me the certain ones that just have to be right how do you think you learned those kind of people management skills do you think you learned that from the path of being a runner and working your way up or is that something that Definitely. you kind of only dealt with Definitely. as a colorist i think you're some people are good at it and some people aren't. I, I don't know where I stand. I wouldn't like to judge myself, but, you know, you can see certain, you know, colorists and you just think they've got a real knack for people. And they've all, I think everyone just has their own style. Like, um, you know, as an example of some of the colorists I work with, they're all good at it, but in different ways. Some might be really fun, bubbly, chatty, and they, you know, they have a real kind of lively room that everyone enjoys. Others aren't like that. They're a bit more sort of quietly spoken, a bit calmer, but people get on board with that calmness. They like that assurity. You know, th there's there's more than one way to be good with people in the grade suite. But it's from, from the very start, you know, when you're a runner, you're in and out of grade suites all the time. You know, you, you're, you're exposed to kind of things early on, how to talk to people, 
how to handle yourself around clients. You know, you're you're taking teas and coffees into grade suites. You're getting a feel for what it's like in the room. You know, so you're exposed to it from day one, and then you know you you get into the next step. Like for me, the machine room, and then you're talking to the operators a lot more. You're getting experience of how to communicate with you know your, your peers and people in the in the building. And then as an assistant, same thing. You know, like the, as an assistant, you should be in the suite as much as possible, sat with a colorist every now and then when you can, getting a bit of an idea of how it works, you know, how how the room and the dynamics of the room are, you know. And then as what happened with me as an assistant, you start picking up your own kind of grade work, tends to be sort of, you know, freebie jobs or low budget stuff. And you just gain that experience bit by bit. I mean, there, there's definitely an element of trial and error with it, or there has been with me where, you know, you have to just get in the get in the seat, start grading, and you know, you you have certain situations you get in or get caught up into, and you learn from them. But um, you know, I think that's part and parcel of it. I, I, in answer to your question, I think you do learn a lot throughout, but there does come a point where you do have to just start grading with clients to learn. Do you know what I mean? There's only so you can't read a book about how to do it. You've got to just get in there, do some grade sessions, have a few scenarios which you have to find a solution for and you learn from it Simple from that. Yeah. Eventually you just got to take that plunge. Yeah, exactly. And then over time you just have, you know, a, all this experience and all these, these kind of experiences that you can fall back on. So, you know, when you find a similar situation, you, you've been there, you've done it and you just know the right way to handle it, the right way to act, the right kind of grade to apply, <laughs> the right words to choose, that kind of thing. That kind of translates to the kind of potential the potential path to being a DOP is you can do the camera assistant or second AC, first AC and camera operator and work your way up. But it's almost like you've just said, like yeah. eventually you have to just say you're a fucking DP and you learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. Like, cause that experience you've got is only going to get you so far. It's kind of cool how it, the process is the same on set and kind of in post, like what you're doing. Yeah. It's interesting. I was having a chat with an editor today, literally, about how like their process is quite similar as well. And it's the same for a cinematographer. Like I think, I guess they're very different kind of uh, parts of the industry, but they have a lot of similarities, particularly in the way you kind of learn and work your way into it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. It's very similar for editors. I think you go in, you assist, and then you edit, you know, same for colour, similar for being a cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. Then I guess, so then this is my this is something i want to at least talk about i don't know if there's a question or if i'm going anywhere with it but i didn't i didn't do that Mm. so i've just i guess i started as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. i was kind of doing a bit of everything and then then eventually learned that like i don't give a shit about anything like the cinematography is what i want to do i just was like that's it i'm gonna tell i'm gonna say that i'm this even though a lot of people may look at my work or look at the path i've done and be like they'll say no you're not you know you haven't gone through this you haven't gone through the ranks and climbed your way up. But the fact is I am doing it. May not be the best way to do it, but that's how I'm doing it. I know a lot of people are doing that. How does that work on the colorist side? What if someone's a kind of at-home colorist? They have their own studio. They're entirely freelance. They've been doing it for several years and they're good. And then they want to kind of step up or at least work for a post house like the mill or insert other post house name would they given their experience would they be able to go in at a higher level if there was a gap or would they still have to start at the beginning i mean i guess it you'd have to kind of go all the way back to why people went through that long 
winded process to start with, really, because, you know, back when uh, it was like telecine grading, you know, with film and things like that, the grading suite was too expensive to be able to just have one at home. You know, grading suites were like million pound plus back then. So you couldn't just create a little grading suite in your home office and learn. You know, it was too expensive to do it. So you had to get into a post house, get on the kit and learn that way. Nowadays, it's not as expensive and you, you can learn on your own at home. You know, you, you can use different versions of Resolve and things like that that are accessible and affordable. Um, and there have been colorists that have done that. Um, I don't know any personally, but I know of colorists who, who have come through that route, been like freelance and then eventually kind of progressed on. Um, and, you know, I'm not really one of them people that's kind of looks at that in any bad way. I mean, fundamentally, if your work's good and creative and I like it, I don't really care how you got there and why you know how how you got to where you are i just i like your work simple as that um and you know there's a lot of people that have gone through the traditional route and, and may not be as as talented as them um it was just a personal choice for me like i was always going to be that kind of person that would have wanted to go that route train and learn from from you know real top professionals and get that experience that's just the way i wanted to do it and i think i benefited from that massively but everyone's different and you've got to go your own path and certain people just wouldn't their characters just wouldn't suit to do that anyway. Um, you know, it's certainly a long process to do it the way I did it. And you've got to, you've got to have that long-minded mentality. Um, but also know that, you know, it, it's it's going to have benefits for you down the line. Some people just don't need that or don't want that. And uh, it, it suits them going the other way. I, I, I would, if you wanted my advice, I would always encourage you to do it the way I did and get into a post house and learn it properly. But like I say, you know, you, you know in yourself better. The only thing I would say is don't do it to cut corners. Do it because you know your character and you know you wouldn't work well going that route. But if you're doing it just to get a quick fix and, you know, you, you just want to be a colorist as quick as possible, don't cut corners. You know, be patient, take your time, learn your trade. It's not, you know, I, I look back on myself years ago and I thought, you know what, I'm getting quite, I feel like I'm, I'm, I've got this. And then, you know, six months on, you're like, wow, I feel so much more refined than I was. And then six months on, I feel even more refined. And every six months, I feel like I'm getting more and more refined. It's, it is definitely a skill you really hone, you know, over time. And like I watch some of the senior guys at the mill that I work with and they've just got like, a, you know, a, a real ease and a way they they grade and the way they work the image. Um, and you can tell it's just because they, they've honed it year after year after year for a long time. They've got that experience. So you know don't rush don't cut corners take your time learn it bit by bit and just develop you know develop your style as an artist develop your kind of looks and the way you want to grade develop the way you, you talk and interact with clients and the kind of colorist you want to be go from there really the 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 title at least it's like what you can give yourself that title someone can give them it's like what at what point like at what point is a colorist a colorist at what point is a DP, like for me, like at what point, even though I, I say, yeah, I'm a cinematographer, but what at what point am I actually a cinematographer? Because to a degree, like all of these are just titles. Like you, what you do is what's important, you know, like the titles. Yeah. It's so, kind of weird. It's one, a really it? good point. And, you know, like it is funny. Like you, you do, you know, I, I don't, I don't really want to be one of those guys who kind of knocks other other people and how they work and what name they want to call themselves yeah. you know it, you're obviously going to get some people that uh you know claiming themselves as a senior colorist 
because they're you know but it's kind of that you know senior of, of what i guess you know like uh, it, it's all relevant isn't it it's all relevant you know you're senior in what respect um but you know i'm i've always been one of them people i it, it's been something that's talked about a lot you know um and i try and stay out of it i don't really want to get involved with it i've always just tried to be honest about what i i am like when i was an assistant for example on my instagram or my linkedin i put myself down as a color assistant you know and that's very honest you know like and you get other people they're like colorist fair enough you know if you want to do it that way go for it i've just always tried to just be honest about what i am you know um yeah, as I say, like titles and stuff, they're all they're all relevant to where you are. And I guess it's exactly the same with cinematographers. It's very similar, right? Any kind of creative job is like there's. I guess there's there's two. There's those two ways. You're like mm. yourself, where you're completely honest, and your digital self is super honest. You know, Instagram, mm-hmm. for example, and you're just real, and you're step by step, and you're you you go in that path. And the other way is to fake it till you make it. Whereas you you want to be that thing. Mm. And you want to do that thing. So you just like put it out there. Like, this is what I am. Yeah. And eventually I'm going to do it. I think there's a, there's a difference though with being a cinematographer. You know, you can just say, look, I'm, I see myself as a DP now. I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. But, you know, as a colorist, you, you do actually, actually have to be offered a job as, you know, different if you're freelance, I guess. But if you're, if you're working at a company, you need to get given the promotion to earn yeah. the title. Simple as that. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, my opinion with titles, like you say, it's, it, it doesn't really mean anything. To be honest with you, you could look at it and you could be senior, lord, king, colorist <laughs> for all I care. I just want to look at your real. If yeah. your real looks good, I don't care what you are. You could be a junior colorist, you could be an assistant, runner, yeah, whatever. If your real looks good, you're a good, you're a good grader. Yeah, simple your as work, that. Your work speaks more than your title. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, titles, whatever. It's, it's you know, you're, you're real and, and the work you've done. Mm. As a grade is what's important. Here's a question. Do you do you think there's a benefit to a cinematographer being able to grade? At least in, at like a basic level. Like I, we've spoke before and I've kind of told you about how I did it really simple. Like I did self-teach, like the basics of, of grade, just more color correction than color mm. grading. And I took a course, like a, I think it was like a three-day course. And I, I feel like that helped me just have a, just, a slight understanding at least when i send stills although they're often way off to what you do but i feel like i feel like there was benefit to me learning that but i know dps that they are they don't do shit other than dp like they don't do anything other than strictly what is defined as being a cinematographer and they're kind of proud of that and that's fine what how do you feel like i feel like it's beneficial mm. i i think it just really it's more of a question for for a cinematographer, really, if they think it's beneficial. Um, but in terms of like, you know, I, I can imagine with you. Being, you know, putting myself in your shoes. I, I would want to know. I'd want to have a bit of a rough idea of how it works, just so when I sit in a grade session, I can say the right things and and kind of get across what I'm trying to explain in a better way because I have a bit of an understanding of how it works, you know. Um, and but you know, from a colorist point of view, I mean. I don't know how much it really matters. Um, I guess it can, you know, it can help if they can sort of explain things and talk the right language. But then equally, you know, it can also be a hindrance if, for example, uh, the DP grades and, you know, might suggest maybe grading it a certain way. I I would stop short of that, you know, because there's more than one way to skin a cat. 
grading and that particular colorist might have a certain way he achieves a look might not necessarily be the way that the 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 dp has taught or been taught how to grade Mm. um so i would stop short of actually asking technical things and you know giving them advice on you know actual operations to use but as a tool for just them understanding it and also using it as a good way of sending on references of roughly where they want the grade to look then yeah why why wouldn't it help you know it's worked quite useful at times when i've had directors and and dops who are they're good photographers in their own right and you know they've kind of taken some stills and given them a bit of a look on photoshop or resolve something like that and they've sent them over and just said like this is the kind of ballpark that i want to put it in it's been really useful but equally you know try and be open-minded and realize that yeah you've got a good eye but the colorist does it for a living and they might be able to, although that's good, you know, just, just be open-minded to, they might be able to take it even further or might be able to do something, you know, else that is also good. You know, just, just be open-minded in the session. Don't go in there thinking like, right, I've graded my still match that be exactly like that. Um, see, cause you know, like I say, they do it for a living. They might be able to, you know, manipulate the image in a way that you didn't imagine and it, it's better for it. And if you had kind of stopped them short of doing that, you'll, you'll you'll never know like that's exactly what happened with with the pot noodle thing that we did like that i kind of because I, I, I have the for some reason i have the still that i did it's like saved on my desktop and i remember like i was like yeah something like this will be fine and then when i sat in with you then I, that was like the first time i'd come, i think it was the first time i'd sat in and worked with you mm. we'd done something else before but i wasn't there for that with the music video but that pot noodle one was like that's when i was like okay this is why it works like this but I still felt like it was useful to do my kind of loose grade because it, yeah. it seemed like it gave you an idea of exactly what I was that. looking for. And then you were just like, okay, this is cool. And this is how we can push it. Yeah, it's always useful. And the times when it's been really beneficial, that pot noodle job was an example. And I've had others where the DOP or the directors sent me, you know, a couple of stills they've graded. And I've taken that, I've used that as a starting point, And then we've been open to exploring and pushing it further. And it's kind of like when you when you go back afterwards, you look and you kind of that starting point was there. And then we kind of pushed it that little bit more, got that little bit out of it. Got to bear in mind as well, like the, the tools you might be grading on might not be as powerful as the ones we use in the suite. Therefore, we can just literally just because of the, the, the technology we have, we can get a bit more out of it or get a nicer look or a bit more of a refined look. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely beneficial to have that kind of starting point, give the colorist a bit of an idea where your head's at. But just be mindful of how you approach it. I personally wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't take any offense or wouldn't care. I, w- I would see it for what it is and that they're just trying to give me an idea, but you could easily fall into a trap of just saying something that feels a little bit that j- just might, might rub the colorist up the wrong way. Like if you kind of go in and, and say, Oh, this is what I've done. You know, I want you to match that could make them feel a little bit like, well, what, what's the point in them being there? Why don't yeah. you just grade what it yourself? You Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, just be mindful of the way you approach it just to make sure you don't kind of rock the boat a little bit. Um, I could see why in certain situations, the colorist could be a little offended if it was approached in the wrong way. I personally, it kind of goes over my head. Mm. I, I, I wouldn't, I just see it for what it is, but yeah, it'd just be a little tip. You know, if you don't know the guy, um, just, just be careful about how you, how you approach that. Funny enough, like that's how I feel when I, when I read a script and either the director or the script writer or whoever's, kind of had the last touch on that script has put like the shots in they've put the shot angles and the shot and the camera movement i'm like 
What's there for me to do? Like, exactly. get anyone to do this. It goes right back to our early chats about chatting early on and having those conversations and things like that. And it, and it is really key, like how you communicate with people. It doesn't matter what role you're in, you know, that communication, whether you're a DOP, director, obviously it's crucial for a director, editor, colorist, all these kind of things. I think the one huge, huge, huge factor in it all is, is how you communicate and talk to people. You know, it doesn't matter what role you do. I think you have to have that that kind of skill and, and you can go about it your own way and your own style, but you need to be able to get your, get your point across properly. From having this conversation with you and now the, the three previous kind of conversations I've had um, on the show, one thing, which is good because the whole reason I wanted to do this was to kind of bring to light the fact that, yeah, you need to be good at your job, but your job isn't just the art. You know, it's like it's 50%, maybe more even people skills, you know, like, and if you can work better with people, that'll make the art part of it better. Yeah. And that couldn't be more true than with color grading. As I said, I don't even think it's 40% of the battle, the creative thing. I think we could all sit there and over time, you know, if you're a creative person, you, you know, you've got a bit of a photographic eye, you could learn the tools and learn how to grade an image on your own, not under any pressure. The real tough thing is being able to do it under pressure in a time frame with clients in the room all these different opinions and you know it can get really hectic and being able to grade it properly and and come out of it you know with it looking good it, it, that's that's a real skill that's not something that it's certainly more difficult than it than it sounds for sure well it doesn't sound easy <laughs> no, to be honest no i mean i think this is a, that's kind of a great this is like a great place to kind of wrap this up to be honest like after that because we've kind of got naturally got to the point of this whole me starting this whole conversation this whole podcast um so yeah that's that's good i'm happy to wrap this up there uh thank you very much for coming on the show man i cheers really appreciate <laughs> it um yeah it's good man thank you very much cheers thank you and there you go interview with thomas mangum i hope you enjoyed that i hope there was some useful information there um i hope you found it valuable in some way i definitely did if you want to check out the show notes for this episode head over to the better cinematographer i've put up some links to some of tom's work i've also put up some stills from a project that we worked on together there's a raw my kind of loose rec 709 grade and then his final grade that looks fucking infinitely better than what i did but it's cool to see the kind of beginning middle and end of that and as for the next episode episode number five we have on the show we have we have no one i'm getting a lot of requests for a producer to be on the show so i haven't actually got anyone locked in yet so i can't give away a name but i will have a producer on the next episode of the show so make sure you check back for that in two weeks time in the meantime if you enjoyed this episode please share it somehow on social media or leave a review or a nice little five star rating on apple podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to that would be super useful and i'll be eternally grateful as always thank you very much for listening and i will catch you guys in two weeks time peace